0: Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, no one likes it when prices go up on the things we buy, but that's just the start of it, and the real danger is much more far-reaching. A conversation on monetary policy with the co-author of Inflation, what it is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. Also this morning, why do pay inequities exist in the workplace? A new data-driven platform for companies and HR professionals aims to identify where disparities exist and help correct issues that create them. And Executive Director Heather Clough will preview upcoming entertainment in the month of May at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, April 25th, 2022. Today is DNA Day. You need a reason to celebrate. Celebrations and observances today include DNA Day. It is Anzac Day. Don't know what that means. Should have probably looked that up. Anzac Day. East Meets West Day. Hairstylists Appreciation Day. National Crayola Day. And it is National Telephone Day today. So, reasons to celebrate on this... Monday morning as we uh, get back into work. Well, this was predictable. We talked about this on uh, Friday, that this was going to happen over the weekend. And um, it, it worked out pretty much the way you would have expected. The FAA is investigating after a skydiving stunt in Arizona nearly ended in a crash. Two pilots were hoping to make history yesterday by swapping planes in midair you remember we were talking about this on friday on the program this would be happening and it was going to be televised it was going to be streamed live on what was it hulu had the uh, live stream of this stunt two pilots swapping planes in midair only one of them made it he jumped out of his plane and got into the other plane then his cousin. Uh, two pilots are cousins. His cousin tried to do the same, but the plane that was then pilotless uh, spun out of control despite having an air brake engaged. Uh, fortunately, that second pilot, after jumping out of his plane into the pilotless plane, fortunately, that pilot landed safely by parachute in the plane also had a parachute that automatically activated. So it didn't end in tragedy. The uh, FAA, though, none too happy about this whole stunt. And uh, I'm imagining they're probably not happy about this. The two men say that they will try to figure out what went wrong and uh, then fix that before they try the stunt again. I'll tell you what went wrong. You jumped out of a perfectly good airplane, leaving no one in control. That was that's uh, what went wrong on that uh, one. I mean, honestly, could you have not predicted that that was exactly what was going to happen? I mean, thankfully, you know, they had backup plans for the plane and the more importantly, the pilot. And nobody got seriously injured. But that could have ended very, very badly. Kind of. Kind of called it. We called it on this program. That was exactly what was going to happen. So how did you spend your weekend? One Minneapolis teenager became a college graduate. Teenager became a college graduate and not just any old teenager. Elliot Tanner um, is getting his college degree, his bachelor's degree in physics from the University of Minnesota at the age of thirteen, he says. Once he has his bachelor's, he plans to move on to a physics doctorate program in the fall. He is one of the youngest graduates the University of Minnesota has ever seen, and has been an, uh, and has been uh, active in his studies through participating in an undergraduate research. Uh, participating in undergraduate research and tutoring his peers. <laughs> not, only, <laughs> not only is he a 13-year-old college graduate, but he has been tutoring his fellow students. Now, how would you like to be an 18, 19, 20-year-old physics student being tutored by a 13-year-old? Um, alongside physics, uh, young Mr. Tanner says he also has a love for pop culture, namely the show Young Sheldon which is about a physics prodigy. Um he told the uh, local uh news reporters there in his hometown in uh, Minneapolis that he even got the chance to meet the actor behind the young boy genius on that show Ian Armitage said the two have been two of them have become close friends. Well, <laughs> there you go. Man. Thirteen and graduating college—that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, my weekend paled by comparison. I didn't do anything that dramatic. Um, this was kind of interesting. I saw this uh, story over the weekend. In case you missed it, have you heard of the diet plan? Um, it's it's called time restricted eating, or alternatively intermittent fasting you've heard of this diet plan there are a number of celebrities that swear by this however a new clinical trial finds that it holds no benefits in terms of weight loss this uh, time-restricted eating it's a form of intermittent fasting in which people limit themselves to eating within a certain time window each day. And outside of that window, they swear off everything other than water or other calorie-free drinks. That's it. You can only eat during certain time windows. And outside of that, it's just water. Researchers have found that when a group of obese adults cut back on calories with or without added time-restricted uh, time eating... Those in the fasting group showed no greater weight loss than anyone else who just cut down on calories. Experts note that the study had its limitations. Uh, both groups were instructed to cut their daily calories by 25% with support of an intensive program that involved health coaches in keeping daily food logs. Uh, they say it, that makes it hard to show an added benefit from layering time-restricted eating into that. And I, was, uh, I happened to hear about this uh, over the weekend. They were talking about it on uh, some of the uh, news shows, and at least one doctor uh, theorized that doesn't necessarily mean that time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting has no benefit whatsoever. They say, generally speaking, if you are not eating outside of some very specific windows of the day, then you are probably by default cutting down on the calories that you consume. If nothing else, you are cutting out the mindless snacking that most of us do throughout the day. And that's where a lot of empty calories come from. And if you eliminate that, there's going to be some benefit. So they say that uh, study or no study, if... Time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting works for you, then there's nothing wrong with it as long as you are consuming an adequate number of calories. But if you are not overdoing it and intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating helps you cut out calories, then by all means, go for it. But just don't think that it is the fasting or the intermittent eating itself that is providing the benefit it's the fact that you are ultimately cutting down on your caloric intake overall so that's the long and short of it there i just thought it was kind of interesting uh let's see here a couple of other uh, interesting items uh, among the first things you need to know this morning twitter is no longer going to allow advertisers on their site who deny the scientific consensus on climate change company announced over the weekend Actually, they made the announcement Earth Day on Friday. No indication that users' posts would be affected. So you can post about uh, climate change or denying climate change all you want. It's Just advertisers would not be allowed to advertise anything that they deem contrary to the science on climate change. Advertisements should not detract from important conversations about the climate crisis, Twitter said, and be giving more information in the coming months on how it plans to provide reliable, authoritative context to climate conversations. The Associated Press reports Twitter already has a dedicated climate topic and uh, offered what it called pre-bunks, sort of debunking information, pre-bunking, proactively pre-bunking information during last year's UN Climate Conference to counter climate change misinformation. So, kind of interesting there. And I'm sure that will uh, endear Twitter to uh, another subset of uh, users, I'm sure. Did you hear about this? A, a famous painting. This is one of the most famous revolutionary era paintings out there. Uh, it is a famous painting that once hung in the White House, is going up for auction next month. Washington Crossing the Delaware, 1851 oil painting that hung in the White House from 1970 until 2014 is one of two surviving copies of the painting. Just two surviving copies. And this one is going uh, up for auction. This is the one that shows George Washington leading his men across the Delaware River on Christmas night, 1776, to ambush enemies on the other side. You've seen this. Uh, If you're not sure what we're talking about, Google Washington crossing the Delaware and you'll know immediately you recognize there. I think there were at one time prints of this painting in just about every elementary school classroom in America. Probably not anymore, but one of only two known originals, uh, original copies, surviving copies from 1851 hung in the White House. It is going to go up for auction and is expected to rack in. Twenty million dollars. Twenty million dollars. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. And um, I mean, it's a famous painting, and it hung in the White House, so that's pretty, pretty cool. And finally, among the first things that you need to know this morning, this is a pretty big accomplishment. Again, what did you do over the weekend? A Pennsylvania man has set uh, an an enviable record. He is one of only 11 people worldwide now to achieve a perfect score in the classic arcade game Pac-Man. Jack Goldberg has completed all 256 levels of the arcade game in four hours and 12 minutes. With a score of 3,333,360 points. The highest score possible in the game. You clear all 256 levels, the game ends. And he is one of 11 people, only 11 people since the game was introduced in 1980, who has cleared all 256 levels of Pac-Man. That's pretty impressive right there. I wonder how many quarters he had to feed into the machine over the course of his lifetime to get that good at that game. Uh, he says his next goal is getting the highest possible score in the arcade game Galaga, which would take more than 16 hours to achieve playing one game, 16 hours. That's Pac-Man by comparisons, four hours and 12 minutes. So that's nothing, but that's is uh, crazy. Perfect score in Pac-Man. There you go. Uh, That is the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy news to get your Monday morning started.
1: WFIN News. I'm John Marshall. Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers are expected today along with the chance of a storm, a high 66. Mostly cloudy conditions tonight with a low 42. The Miracle Park of Findlay held its grand reopening over the weekend. Miracle League board member Jared Brinker near the zip line after he and his daughter had some fun racing each other.
2: My daughter, Jordan, she's played uh, in the league since 2016 also. She has cerebral palsy, and, and this is one of the first things that she always talks about every every spring and fall. is just, hey, when, when's the first game? When do we get to play baseball? And uh, she just loves it out here.
1: The Miracle Field of Findlay is a custom baseball field with a cushioned, rubberized surface that allows players with disabilities to experience the game. See videos from the grand reopening on our website. A Finley family has their stolen SUV back, but more importantly, they have what was in it when it was stolen, a specialized wheelchair for their son. Brittany Jackson told WTOL 11 she's thankful for everyone who helped reunite her son with his wheelchair.
3: It was just phenomenal to see so many people on social media concerned about the wheelchair. Like they knew how much that meant. I mean, he's an innocent little boy and to think that someone could do what they did to his wheelchair broke my heart.
1: Brittany said a Fostoria police officer found her SUV and then her son's wheelchair was found discarded in a field in Seneca County. Get more on the website. Habitat for Humanity of Findlay and Hancock County has kicked off construction of their two latest builds in Findlay. Executive Director Wendy McCormick says none of this would have been possible without their many volunteers. I
3: know I hear a lot of the
4: volunteers that keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. Hey, I put that roof on that one and I put the lights in in that one. I put the siding
3: on on that one.
1: The new homes are being built on Olney Avenue in Findlay. Get more on our website. Next season, the Columbus Blue Jackets will play a pair of regular season games in Finland. The Blue Jackets general manager is from Finland, as are goaltender Jonas Korpisalo and winger Patrick Lane. The Blue Jackets will play the Avalanche on November 4th and 5th in Finland. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. In for Matt Demchak, I'm John Marshall for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: Well, how much do you really understand about the dynamic of inflation? As prices skyrocket, unlike anything we've seen for 40 years, conservatives blame the president, the president blames Russia, protectionists blame global manufacturing, manufacturers blame the supply chain, and Joe Average just wants to know why we can't afford to put food on the table and gas in the tank anymore. Nathan Lewis is co-author with Elizabeth Ames and Steve Forbes of the new book, Inflation. What it is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. He is among the world's leading authorities on monetary policy and economic history. And Nathan, let me start with the uh, subtitle there. Is all inflation bad? I mean, the Fed has long targeted a 2% inflation rate in crafting their monetary policy, saying that it would be uh, good for a stable economy economy, which is one of the things that makes this so confusing for most of us to understand.
2: Exactly. Is all inflation bad? Well, you know, but first we have to start with the term inflation. And this is kind of loosely attached to all kinds of things. It has something to do with rising prices. And one of the problems that we have is we have to kind of separate things out and analyze what's actually going on, just not painting everything with the inflation brush. Uh, and in the book, we want to separate in people's minds things that can cause prices to rise into supply and demand effects. And these are definitely happening now. We all know there's mm-hmm. supply chain type issues, right. empty store shelves and empty dealers lots. Yeah, those are going to drive up prices. Uh, and then there's monetary effects. And this has nothing to do with supply and demand. It's really just central bank policy. We know that uh, the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world were very aggressive uh, during the COVID period, 2020. Uh, they actually created a substantial amount of money um, out of nothing, so to speak, and the outcome of that has been that the value of our currencies has declined and once the when the value of a currency declines, there's a process that happens afterwards where over time, over months and years, uh, prices will adjust higher to to compensate for that yeah so so really, what we 're seeing now is not only the supply chain type issues but then also that that central bank policy, which caused a currency decline in, in 2020. But to, your, to the point that you just focused on, are there some situations of rising prices called inflation, which are actually good? And I think, yes, there are. And this is another thing to, to keep in mind. Um, historically, in the past, a just plain good time, just plain economic growth and prosperity has been called inflation. Because mm-hmm. uh, what happens when everything's going great? Well, often wages go up. Doesn't that happen? Unemployment goes down. Right, a tighter labor market. Uh, asset prices go up. Maybe property prices go up. These are just these are just various aspects of getting rich. Yeah, <laughs>
0: right. So obviously, if you ask Joe Average why inflation is bad, the answer will be because it makes everything cost more. No one wants to pay more for the stuff that they buy than they did a year ago or even a month ago. But I suspect that the most serious dangers go well beyond that as you were just alluding to or else there would be no need for the book
2: that's right as long as the currency is stable in value which we used to have in the united states during the gold standard era before 1971 uh then prices going up and down is you know it's, it's the price system adjusting it's it's more or less a good thing right for for example right now uh we have a very tight labor market uh, especially in the in the sort of the lower uh half of the of the income uh, spectrum. The, Lower middle class getting big increases in in wages, and that's I say that's actually a good thing. Um, but the really nasty type of inflationary effect is really the monetary stuff. When your currency loses value, uh, obviously, if you are getting paid dollars and the dollars aren't worth as much, you are mm-hmm. worse off, right? Yeah, Takes more money to buy things, and you have to get you have to get raises, you have to get higher income just to catch up to the to the erosion of the, right. the value of your currency, right? This is and this is, can lead to long-term stagnation.
0: I thought it was uh, quite interesting on um, one of the Sunday news shows uh, this past week. I believe it was Meet the Press. They were talking about this, and the point was made that for anyone under the age of thirty-five, maybe even forty-five. The rate of inflation that we are seeing right now is a completely foreign concept. Uh, inflation has not been this high since 1982 when it was 6%, and that was 4% down from the year before, and it hasn't even been 4% since 1991. So there are a lot of people who have not seen this kind of run up in prices. In their entire adult lifetime, does that add to the anxiety and help make inflation something of a self-fulfilling prophecy? I, I wouldn't quite say that. Um, I guess that kind of... I, I No, just to interject, I guess the, the better question is, again, because there's such a sizable uh, part of the younger population uh, that has never seen this before, is that one of the reasons why they don't really understand what really um, is at the heart of the problem? That's right. And people have a tendency
2: to to just poo-poo monetary stuff altogether and say, oh, I don't understand yeah. it, but right. let the Central Bank take care of it. And I don't think that's a good idea. You know, regular Americans should have an idea of what's going on. And I'll, I'll lay it out for our our younger, you know, our younger, uh, listeners today. For most of United States history, almost 200 years before, up until 1971, we had a policy of keeping the value of the dollar stable by linking the value of the dollar to gold. And And it worked pretty well. As long as we stuck with that principle, we never had an inflation problem. Now we have a new system where the value of the dollar is not stable anymore. It's not fixed. It goes up and down in value. It's a floating CI currency. And The value of the dollar today is about 150th, by my estimate, of what it was in the 1960s. We have a two-cent dollar. And during your lifetime, you might see the value of the dollar go down again to 150th of what it is worth today.
0: So what then is the solution to reining in inflation? Is is it as simple as going back to the gold standard? And is that even practical or, or even possible at this point?
2: First of all, it's Today's issues, we have, we have a lot of these supply chain issues and these are resolvable. And there's nothing, nothing Jay Powell does can, can fix shipping in China and that kind of thing. Right. Which is actually quite a lot of today's CPI numbers. Um, but as, as regards the monetary aspects, we're very aggressive with money creation, uh, last couple of years. You have to keep, if to fix the inflation problems, you just have to keep the currency stable in value. And you can do this in a kind of formalized way, as we did in the past before 1971, by tying the current the dollar to gold. Right. And you can kind of do it in an in a, you can kind of do it in an informal, seat of the pants manner, as Paul Volcker and Alan Greenspan accomplished in the 1980s and 1990s, ending the 1970s period of inflation. Whether you do it in a formal or informal way, uh, if you stabilize the currency's value, you're going to get this inflationary outcome. Um, so it's real simple that way. Uh, the the best system is to tie the currency value to gold. And people, ah, people have a lot of difficulty with this. It, all you gotta do is, is manage the value of the dollar. Can, can we do this? Yeah, of course we can do this you know there are more than more than 50 percent of all countries in the world today tie the value of their currency to the dollar so if they can tie their currency to the dollar why can't we tie the dollar to gold
0: well i guess there's uh, certainly a lot of logic uh to that with respect to what we are seeing now and again it's hard to peer into the crystal ball necessarily but you know the other point that's been made is that inflation at this level as we mentioned we haven't seen it since for uh, 40 years and as you pointed out it was, wasn't until the 80s, uh, really the mid-80s, where we got control over the inflation that we started to see run up in the 1970s. This has been notoriously difficult to control historically, and it has spanned and swallowed up multiple presidencies before. you see any near-term fix for what we're seeing right now? Um People, there's, there's a bit, of, there's a bit
2: of, a, of, a, of a myth that inflation is difficult control. I, I say it's not difficult control. People, some of the most incredible hyperinflations in history ended almost overnight. Germany had an incredible hyperinflation in the early 1920s. It ended in one week when a guy, Jomar Schatz, was given the assignment, relinked the Marx value to gold, and in one week it was done. Inflation was over. So, yeah, Paul Volcker would kind of stumbled around for years and years trying to figure it out, but that's because he wasn't doing things very well. You could fix inflation overnight. Um, a- unfortunately, the situation you know, with the political trends that we have today, mm-hmm. we have a tendency towards chronic deficits. And then on top of that, we have a tendency to spend just amazing amounts of money when there's a recession and things are kind of going, looking that way today. And then when there's a recession, not only do we spend amazing amounts of money, but we also create money from the central bank right and this this political tendency is going to create uh more inflation in the future if we do, if we go down that path
0: again he is one of the world's leading authorities on monetary policy and economic history nathan lewis co-author of inflation what it is why it's bad and how to fix it and do you have a website in conjunction with the book we can guide folks to
2: uh yeah the, the book itself has a website uh, it's at encounter books
0: um which is the publisher
2: And I also have a personal website on economic topics, which is at newworldeconomics.com.
0: For those who want to dig into the weeds a little deeper on this, Nathan, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it is one of the hot button issues of the 21st century workforce, the wage gap. And according to the more than 300 employers responding to Expert HR's 2022 survey on pay equity, senior management is one root cause of the existence of pay inequities at companies. And uh, Dr. Zara Nanu, uh, CEO and co-founder of Gap Square, is with us this morning. Dr. Nanu, I guess uh, the first place to start, is with that basic question of how pay inequity is defined in this context.
3: That's a great question, Chris, because oftentimes the definition of pay inequity is caused for a lot of confusion, but that's because it can actually mean different things, so it's good to get definitions right from the get-go. Oftentimes when people talk about pay equity, they mean equal pay, and equal pay is, equal pay between people who do the same job fairly straightforward you're comparing apples with apples so mm-hmm. within a business if you have two project managers are you paying those two project managers the same and if there is a difference which there can be a difference is that difference justified is it justified by the fact that someone has brings more skill more qualification more certification of some kind are they taking on more responsibility as part of that job which in effect can justify some pay gap and that pay gap is is okay to exist but if it can't be justified and the only difference between those two employees is that, for instance, one of them is a woman or one of them is a person of colour or one of them is a person with a disability, then that becomes a real significant issue.
0: So, when you talk about the uh, gender gap as maybe the most prominent or prevalent uh, form of pay inequity where uh, you don't have equal pay for equal work, uh, obviously that's not the only one. You mentioned some of the other situations in which a pay gap may exist for legitimate or illegitimate reasons. Among those instances where Inequities exist for uh, no reasonable reason. Are there similarities across the board with respect to pay inequities because of gender and other issues? And what factors cause those pay inequities?
3: So we see a lot of the times. I mean, we started looking by gender because if you look at the world population, 51% is women. So it's really easy to see and observe those differences. But at the same time, we also do have differences because of someone's race, because of someone's disability, LGBTQ, and a lot of bigger differences when actually it's the intersection of some of these. So when you talk about a woman of color or when you talk about a disabled woman of color, those issues around pay become even larger and larger, like the gaps become even bigger. So it's about companies taking stock of these issues and understanding where are the differences in pay? that are justified because of pay determining characteristics, like someone's education, like someone's skill set, and Mm -hmm. where are the ones that shouldn't be there because of discrimination and actually could lead to employment tribunal and nobody should be worried about the employment tribunal. We should be living in a world where you're worried about making talent feel valued, where you want people to stay with your business, where you want to... Helps people be more productive, grow within their roles and their careers.
0: And as you uh, were alluding to uh, before, there is some level of inequity that is baked into the system, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. The CEO is always going to make more than the guy who was just hired. Uh, the person with uh, years of experience is going to uh, uh, command a, a greater salary than someone who is coming in uh, who is just a recent uh, uh, entry in uh into a particular field and so on so how do you determine then what is an acceptable level of pay equity based on those legitimate factors and when that crosses over into something that is where there are other uh factors that that play into it in addition to those legitimate because you can actually have pay and equity that crosses both lines right
3: Absolutely, absolutely. So what we've we've worked a lot around this on in Gap Square to identify and and make sure we develop a platform that immediately identifies the things that are justified. So things like you said, someone being in a more senior role, someone having more education, someone having more skills, someone being with the company for more years. All of these are justifiable reasons to give someone more pay. So the these are things we we bake into our platform so that when Companies look at the payroll and HR data. They get instant insights about where pay inequity exists that they should look into because there's nothing in their data that justifies it. Uh, And it's not to say that, you know, there isn't justification. Maybe they just need to bring more data in to understand that justification. Mm. But, But if there isn't, it gives them an opportunity to see exactly where it is, which people are affected, what departments are they in, What age groups are these so that they can understand, is it a one-off? Was it a mistake when people were hired? They were offered more money than the people who were already in the business. Is it biased or is it that our policies as an organization facilitate for that to continue on a on a continuous regular basis and then businesses can focus on remediating that and, and fixing the problem
0: so it, it seems as though you are coming into this in your platform with the uh, assumption or uh, the um belief that in many cases this is not necessarily done intentionally would that be fair
3: uh, absolutely fair. I don't think we, in, in in no way, do we ever think that someone. Will, I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks I'm going to go and create some pain at work because that sounds like great fun. Um, these are all created over time. Sometimes because business wants to move fast, so they need to hire someone today, and the only people who are you are talking to are people within who are asking for a specific pay, and you're just going to close your eyes and take them on board because you really need them today. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's because businesses grow through Mm -hmm. acquisitions, so they acquire a different business that maybe is paying people differently for similar jobs that you have, that you're paying a different kind of wage. So a lot of these are just happening as businesses grow and expand, and it's just it's it, we're not looking into some kind of punish or penalizing yeah. companies as much as into helping companies understand where these challenges
0: are and how
3: they can address
0: them. Because I, I think among some, there is a mindset that uh, companies do this deliberately, that this uh, pay inequity is some sort of uh, inherent uh, thing that is deliberately um, perpetuated. And it seems as though... From what you have been able to glean from your data, that uh, often seems to be the exception rather than the rule. So, explain how your platform, how gap Square then can help companies bridge that wage gap when they, uh, you know, by analyzing those uh, data points.
3: Yeah, so we we want to simplify this because it can be quite complex, especially if you're a company that's grown through acquisition or that's grown fast and added talent here and there. Sometimes people doing the same job with different job titles. So there's some complexities around that. And we wanted to create a platform that really simplifies it so that we can take care of all the calculations in the background and identify specifically people who need to be looked into because they may have equal pay issues with an indication of how much money the company will need to put in to to correct those pay inequalities. So really looking at making it easy for businesses to track those pay inequities, identify where they're coming from, and continuously make sure that they pay people fairly um, so that they can focus on the things that matter and really continue to grow that business and continue to bring talent in.
0: Again, Dr. Zara Danu is CEO and co-founder of GapSquare with us this morning, the platform uh, to address uh, a long-standing issue in the business world, and that is uh, pay inequity. We talk a lot about, uh, about identifying the problem. Um, here, we're talking about presenting a solution so that's what i uh really is uh intriguing to me about this it's a big ask but it is a good step in the right direction where do folks learn more uh, about this platform and and how it works
3: you can find us on gapsquare.com to lead the change uh or find me on linkedin and we're always happy to talk to businesses and organizations around how we can create a more fair future of work for everyone
0: dr nano thanks very much for uh, taking the time we appreciate it
3: Thank
1: you so much, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update
0: on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A follow-up to a story that we had, I believe, in the broken news last week, was it? Uh, Maybe the week before. That home in Fairfax, Virginia... That uh, comes with a very unusual feature. Remember when we talked about this five-bedroom, four-bathroom house uh, on the market for eight hundred thousand uh, dollars? Its listing generated headlines as it said that there was an occupant living in the basement of the home. That <laughs> that whoever bought the home had to agree to deal with this uh, occupant, who was basically a squatter woman. And her daughter live in the basement. There's no lease, there's no (laughs) formal agreement. They just moved into the basement of this home, I guess, like a year and a half ago, and they've been there ever since. And the owner just didn't have the heart to kick them out. And so (laughs) they were selling the home. They said, Okay, here's the thing: it's a beautiful house, but there's somebody squatting in the basement, and you gotta deal with this. And we thought, who in the world would would buy this? Well, today's housing market, being what it is, it has sold the uh, the home. Uh, according to this, is in the uh, Washington D.C. Uh, area, Fairfax, Virginia, uh, local news reports are that the property received five offers and was under contract for more than the asking price. <laughs> That's how hot this real estate market is, (laughs) that people will overlook imperfections, even a squatter living in your home (laughs) in order to get your dream property will even take on a border, as it were. So in case you were wondering who would buy that house, uh, it has been sold uh, for over the asking price. That's crazy. Uh, let's see here. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, what do they say? Uh, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And when life gives you tumbleweeds, you make a little money on Etsy. Residents of, uh, Eagle Mountain, Utah are dealing with an influx of tumbleweeds. Locals say that their yards and their streets have been covered in tumbleweeds since this past Tuesday. Big windstorm came through and blew all these tumbleweeds, so many, in fact, that some roads had to be closed because there were so many tumbleweeds. And uh, one of the uh, spokespersons for the uh, city says uh, it's not unusual. The city does get tumbleweeds a couple of times a year, but this uh, was a, a pretty bad storm that brought in. They had to close roads, so many tumbleweeds. The city made headlines back in 2018 when it established a drop-off site for residents to get rid of their tumbleweeds. Uh, Tyler Maffitt, again, the city spokesperson, says the city recommends residents obtain a permit to burn them or get a voucher to dispose of them at the uh, local landfill. But some residents have gotten creative and have actually put the tumbleweeds on Etsy, selling them as an interior design item. Believe it or not, people are buying them. <laughs> when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. When life gives you tumbleweeds, you put them on Etsy, apparently. That was kind of cute. Uh, follow up to the Easter holiday. Apparently, the Easter Bunny, if you've ever wondered what the Easter Bunny does outside of his once a year rounds, you know, with the uh, eggs and, and everything on, on Easter. Well, apparently he has a side career as a barrister. The Easter Bunny is representing the prosecution in several hundred criminal cases in Polk County, Iowa. <laughs> the Easter Bunny for the prosecution. At least that's what court records, the uh, the court system's official digital repository of court records, indicates that the Easter Bunny... Is uh, prosecuting these cases, the Des Moines Register reported that on April 4th, the online docket sheets for hundreds of cases, primarily misdemeanor and drunk driving cases, were revised to indicate that the prosecution uh, had been transferred from assistant court attorney uh, Kaylee Gray to another prosecutor by the name of Easter Bunny. (laughs) The assistant county attorney, Brett Lucas, explains the situation stems from recent realignment of cases within the county attorney's office. Ms. Gray took over a colleague's cases and her old cases were then transferred to the Easter Bunny until all of the work on the transfer could be completed and then they would be reassigned to a. Here's the explanation. Apparently, the uh, judicial branch and the IT department who puts all of these things into the computer decided that they had to have a name of the prosecuting attorney. And since there was no prosecuting attorney, they were kind of in limbo. They uh, entered Easter Bunny because obviously no one else would have that name. <laughs> <laughs> they just needed a name. So they put Easter Bunny in there. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like uh, the uh, assistant uh County attorney says it sounds like they must still be in the middle of that uh, transfer process. After being contacted by the Iowa Central Dispatch on Thursday, court officials were working to erase any mention of the Easter Bunny from their website. And by late afternoon, the Des Moines Register reports it appeared that the work had been completed. (laughs) Easter Bunny prosecuting cases in his spare time. So now you know what the Easter Bunny does when... He's not out there delivering eggs. Uh, Let's see. Did you hear the uh, story about the stray rooster in Slidell, Louisiana? A rooster has taken up residence at a local Popeye's chicken restaurant. Uh, The bird has been nicknamed Rocco by employees of the restaurant who built him a chicken coop beside the drive-thru. General manager of the store uh, tells local news reporters that the rooster showed up one day. And just never left, leaving employees scratching their heads. Where did the chicken come from? Uh, They looked around the neighborhood and eventually decided that nobody claimed the chicken. So they decided to make it a bit of a mascot. Uh, The general manager of the store says we've actually seen increasing sales because, you know, the people come by to see the chicken. Chicken restaurant. (laughs) What I want to know is, does the rooster realize what they do at that restaurant? (laughs) Does the rooster realize what they serve? And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, the dream home of a family in Kingston, Massachusetts turned into a nightmare when they realized that uh, 700 gunshot-sounding golf balls, broken windows, and dented siding came with the deal. For the past four years, Eric and Athena Tenzar have raised their three young daughters in a home that borders the Indian Pond Country Club. Now, you would think you buy a home on a golf course, that's a pretty, you know, desirable location, except that their home has been reg- regularly attacked by stray golf balls from the 15th hole <laughs> now this is one of the things that this is a risk that you take when you buy a home that butts up against the golf course you're going to have stray golf balls from time to time but the couple had had enough and they decided to take legal action they actually sued the country club for trespassing over the constant golf ball attacks and believe it or not a jury has now granted the Tenzars. $3.5 million for damages and emotional and mental suffering. After a six-day trial, the award totaled $4.9 million with interest. Or here's the thing, don't buy a home next to a golf course if you don't want golf balls. Can you believe that? For almost $5 million in damages plus interest because there are golf balls on a golf course and in their backyard because it's on the golf course oh man that's just crazy there you go uh that is today's broken news report this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service more or less of hancock county Veterans services we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming
1: WFIN says thank you for listening. And remember, you can listen around the clock on computer, smartphone, or tablet. Start your day with Chris Oaks and good mornings. And stay with us all day long. You also get CBS Sports Radio plus all of our locally originated sports programming. Listen live whenever you like at 1330 WFIN 95.5 FM and at WFIN.com where you can also grab our free mobile apps for iOS or
0: Android. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It is no secret that uh, the vast majority of Americans need to be doing a better job in saving for their future, setting aside money for retirement and so on, and results of a new survey of 2,000 Americans uh, half between the ages of 18 to 29 and the other half between the ages of 30 and 64, looked at how various groups in various industries, workers in various industries, are planning for retirement uh, across these various fields of employment. What they find is that there may be some serious misperceptions that are leading to this unpreparedness for the future that many americans find themselves in for example you do not need to be working in a white collar office job in order to start saving for retirement but nine in ten industrial workers believe that you do that you actually have to be working a white collar job to save for retirement nine in ten industrial workers have that misperception uh Workers at micro-sized companies between two and nine employees were most intent on retiring in their 50s. 32% of those who work in very small companies say they want to retire in their 50s. 24% of this group, though, say their current employer does not offer a retirement plan. Overall, nearly half of all respondents, 47%, think you can be too old To start saving for retirement and that again another misperception that is not true. This by the way uh, this survey conducted on behalf of uh, human interest which is a retirement benefits provider. So they have obviously a vested interest in the results here. But the survey also looked at some of the frequent reasons people think they won't be able to retire. Among all the reasons employees noted as keeping them from working at their desired level. 44% Forty four percent cited pandemic related stress. Uh, f- finance workers uh, being the most likely to cite that as a barrier to reaching retirement. Fifty seven percent cited that excuse. Forty percent of workers think they won't have enough money to last the rest of their life, particularly 61 percent of healthcare workers feel that way. I guess they would know. of education professionals think they will burn out before reaching retirement age. Um, 47% of HR workers are more worried about potential job loss standing in their way. Uh, To ensure that they hit their retirement age, 37% would exchange a job they liked for a better paying one that they liked less. And 32% would change jobs to one with a better 401k, those younger or those uh, older respondents between 30 and 64 years of age are more likely than those in the 18 to 29 year old age range to say that they would change jobs for a better 401k, 36% to 28%. Well, kind of interesting all the way around. Uh, all of those numbers on some of the barriers that people say staying in the way of reaching their retirement goals and especially how many of them are actually misperceptions from this survey. It's hard to believe that we're into the final week of April already, heading into the month of May, and things are getting really busy. At the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts Executive Director Heather Clow is on the line with us this morning. A big month uh, coming up. A lot of uh, really uh, excellent shows over the, uh, the next several weeks, I- including... Uh, a couple that have been long anticipated, uh, the uh, Texas Tenors actually coming up this weekend, and Thompson Square later on in the month.
4: Yeah, we're finally getting to some of these COVID rescheduled shows. It'll be fun to get them finally on our stage.
0: <laughs> so uh, you actually have a uh, Spark Series Kids event uh, happening today. So things are uh, really jumping over the uh, at the Marathon Center. This uh, uh, Dog Man the Musical.
4: <laughs> yeah, we have Dogman here, um, and lots of school buses will be in our parking lot. We have a lot of schools coming from out of Hancock County and around the county this, today, so it's kind of exciting to get them their first experience at MCPA.
0: Yeah, this is one of the other things, you know, we talk about uh, some of the uh, headlining shows and the main stage show- shows. Uh, that uh, everybody is excited for, like the Texas Tenors, like Thompson Square, but so much of what you do I- involves uh, the the kids, the younger generations, with the Spark Series and and some of the workshops and and things that you do with youth theater and and so on. Uh, a big push for education of the next generation.
4: Absolutely, you know it's really important um, to get kids involved with the arts, even if they just become patrons later on. You know, about four years ago, we merged with the arts partnership and, you know, we have a full education program, family shows. Um, just want to get those kids in our, into the theater and then just really enjoying what we do.
0: So important, too, because uh, that's one of the areas uh, in many schools where funding has been uh, scaled back over the uh, past generation. So uh, you really see this as kind of picking up the slack for uh, education that they may not otherwise get.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think often art is seen as non-essential, unfortunately, Mm. even though, you know, there's lots of studies that prove what what art provides for uh, students. So we, you know, we can certainly pick up that slack and and provide ways for kids to experience the art.
0: So you have a very busy week. Uh, Again, uh, Dogman the Musical uh, from TheaterWorks USA is today, but the uh, Texas Tenors is this coming Friday. Are there still tickets available for that? Yeah, we do have
4: a handful of tickets, mostly upstairs at this point, Okay, but we do have some left, absolutely. You can certainly get those online or give us a call, but we're excited to finally do this show. It's been about two years we've been talking about it. Yeah,
0: exactly, and uh, that is going to be a great uh, show. Uh, You know, No bad seats at the Marathon Center, so if you want to see the uh, Texas Tenors uh, this Friday is going to be your opportunity to do that at long last. Uh, A couple of other uh, shows that are coming up here in the uh, month of May, the linda ronstadt experience here in a couple of weeks
4: yeah that's may 12th and that should be fun um i've been sort of going down the linda ronstadt rabbit hole listening to some of her music some of them i've even forgotten so it's great to hear her and and i think that'll be a lot of fun and there's still tickets left for that one too
0: such a uh, ter- terrific uh catalog of uh Wonderful music for spanning um, what three or four decades that Linda Ronstadt has been making music. So uh, that's going to be a terrific show. Uh, Another one of the rescheduled shows that was originally uh, supposed to be here uh, back, I think, what, 2020. uh, William Close and the Earth Harp Collective is coming up uh, here in a couple of weeks on May 14th. Explain a little bit about what this show uh, is, because this is uh, certainly an, an unusual and unforgettable show.
4: It is. He was on America's Got Talent, and he basically builds a harp in the theater. He turns the theater into a harp. So if you're sitting downstairs, the strings will go right over your head, and then wow. he stands on stage and plays it. I've yet to experience it live, and I've been looking forward to it for two years. So I'm excited to to finally get there and, and sit under this harp. But people that have experienced it say that you never forget it. It's just an incredible, uh, you know, interactive event.
0: And I would imagine it would be hard. You would be hard pressed to find another show where the music kind of envelops you quite literally in this case
4: right i have never seen or heard anything like this before um, everyone just keeps telling me that it's, it's once in a lifetime
0: <laughs> yeah may 14th is the uh, date on that one uh coming up uh the 19th uh may 19th that's a thursday evening uh this is the uh, live at arms series vicky christina barcelona tell tell us a little bit about this group
4: yeah, they are a lot of fun. They're three women, um, amazing musicians, and they have reimagined the music of Tom Waits from a women's woman's perspective. Okay. They are just fun and funky, and Tom Waits has never sounded like this before.
0: <laughs> and, again, the Live at Arms series is one that is uh, a very uh, intimate setting. Uh, this, uh, again, is going to be one of those uh, where you're just right there, uh, in the middle of it all,
4: yes, we do it in Arms Hall, which is our small reception hall. We set it up; it feels like a, a nice little club. Um, mm-hmm. and we sell, you know, around a hundred tickets, so it, it's very intimate. The artists usually hang out afterwards, and it's a lot of fun, and it's a lot of um,
0: just great music up close. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Thompson Square. The date on that is May 20th. That, again, is one that's been postponed a couple of times. Uh, but this is a terrific uh, country group, a lot of uh, great hits in, uh, in their career. And that's going to be uh, good to uh, have, uh, have them on stage again uh, May the 20th on this one.
4: Yeah, and actually, I think at this time, uh, postponing may have done it some favors because the tickets are really selling, so I think people are in the mood for some great country.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, but again, there are still tickets available for that if you uh, want to grab one, right? Yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah. right now tickets are available for all our shows.
0: Okay. Unfortunately
4: or fortunately, we haven't sold any out yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so you can still uh, get in on uh, those. Now, I uh, also want to mention a couple of other things that are coming up uh, here. First of all, uh, the food trucks are back beginning here in a couple of weeks, right?
4: Yes, we're going to be doing a monthly this summer, um, so we could get more at once. And they're going to be starting on May 11th, and we have them uh, June 8th. July 13th, August 10th, and September 14th. So there'll be five total over the summer.
0: Okay, so uh, put those dates uh, on your calendar and then get ahead of ourselves a little bit, but put this in uh, folks' uh, ear uh, when we're talking about uh, events of the month of May. This is actually coming up beginning of June. You kick off the uh, summer programming slate, and a lot of great stuff is, uh, is on the way for the summer.
4: Yeah, I'm excited for the summer, not only the warmer, sunnier weather, but um, we have Boogie is returning on June 3rd, so we've taken a couple of years hiatus there. Mm -hmm. It's going to be in our lot, not on Main Street, but it's still Boogie, still $5 tickets. We have got some great music this year. Uh, The Docksiders are coming back, so that's Yacht Rock. I think there's going to be a lot of fun and partying in our parking lot on June 3rd. And then we have um, summer concerts all summer long, mostly in August. We've got a bunch. We've got... um, Tad Benoit, who's a blues artist, the Verve Pipe from the 90s, and then a family show with Lori Berkner. Then we have free concerts in the park. So we have the Riverside Concert Series and our Lunchtime Live Series.
0: Yeah, a couple of uh, different series of uh, free concerts at uh, Riverside Park coming uh, beginning in June, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next month. But again, uh, circle those on your calendars because the uh, concerts in the park are back, and I know that's something that a lot of folks have missed. So really looking forward to that. Yeah,
4: we've gotten a lot of feedback that people are excited that those are back.
0: And uh, so you've got more information on all of these shows and other ones that are coming up that uh, folks who want to check out at your website, right? Yes, it's mcpa.org.
4: And if you do mcpa.org slash summer, that'll take you right to the
0: summer events. Very good. Uh, We've got the link up on our web page as well. And again, uh, Executive Director Heather Clow, the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts with us uh, this morning, talking about what's happening in the uh, coming month, the month of May, right around the corner. And uh, that means some great entertainment uh, here uh, at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Heather, thanks very much for the update. As always, we appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, with exactly one week to go until the partial May 3rd primary, are there concerns that confusion created by Ohio's redistricting saga? may affect turnout and become a factor in the important races and issues voters have to decide. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.